Nina Porzuki here, and this is The World in Words, a podcast about languages and the people who speak them. Patrick. Nina. So this past week, I've been digging this Kanye West song <laughs> mm, <laughs> that we're hearing West. right now. Um, warning, there may be a bad word or two in the podcast as you know. No, Kanye from West. Kanye West? <laughs> yes, and I promise you this has to do with language. Well, emojis, actually. But first... The World in Words is made possible in part by the National Endowment of the Humanities, celebrating 50 years of excellence. That's Chris Wolf. He is a producer on the broadcast, PR as the World. And last week, I asked you to guess where he's from. I'm from a little place just outside of London, uh, up the Thames Valley, called Shepperton, near the town of Staines. My accent is some horrible mishmash of kind of blue-collar London with upper-class BBC, Cambridge, slash, living in Boston, New England, mashup. So, did you get it right? You know, I didn't even get that right. It strikes me as funny that, like, for so many of us who grew up in Britain, that when we talk about our accents, we kind of couch it in class terms, which doesn't happen so often. Yeah, it's not so much here. It's more like geographic terms here. Huh. Well, stay tuned to the end of the podcast for the next accent quiz. This one's a good one. And on to Kanye and emojis. So, Patrick, I just had to play this bit of the song for you. Plus, Kamoji just shut down the app store. And we made a million a minute. We made a million a minute. We did. Yeah, we made a million a minute. We made a million a minute. So, you know what he's talking okay. about there, Patrick, right? Wait, wait a minute. Kimojis? What is Kimojis? Well, Kimojis, you know, Kanye's wife, Kim Kardashian. She made up these uh, this app with uh, kimojis. They're you know emoji like images of herself. There's an image of her pregnant, <laughs> other accentuated parts of her anatomy, <laughs> and they were downloaded at something like nine thousand times a second. So he wasn't kidding when he said we made a million a minute. We made a million a minute. We're, we're in the wrong business. I here. seriously cue face with open mouth <laughs> to use some emojis there, um, and and the kimojis actually broke the app store for a for a bit of a time. You know, if you've got to break something in your life, the app store's not a bad that one. That is pretty good. For those of you scratching your heads and wondering what the heck is an emoji, astonished face, they are, you know, those pictograms that you use on your phone or on Twitter. And the word emoji actually comes from Japanese. And the phenomena, as you might guess, also began in Japan. The first emoji was created in 1998 or 1999. It's a little unclear. But over the last decade, they seem to have popped up everywhere. Since they first appeared on our shores early in this decade, these charming, versatile, and intelligent figures have captured our hearts. They've become part of the very fabric of our society. We've embraced them in our workplaces and offices. they found a place in our schools. Our children adore them. We've even welcomed them into our homes. They are called emojis. They are so ubiquitous, in fact, that this year's Oxford English Dictionary Word of the Year was face with tears of joy. Going for a headline there. Yeah. My word back is face with rolling eyes. (laughs) But, But this week I was trolling around the internet and I came across this Kickstarter campaign. Dumplings are one of the most universal cross cultural foods in the world. Georgia has kinkali, Japan has gyoza, Italy has ravioli. Yet somehow, despite their popularity, there is no dumpling emoji in the standard set. 
Why is that? What, really? There's no dumpling emoji? No that... official dumpling emoji. Wow. There's also no official chopstick emoji. That's really shocking. Yeah, well, the writer and former journalist Jennifer Aitley, she was equally surprised when she realized this omission. She realized it while she was texting with her friend Ying. I was cooking and I texted her um, a picture of dumplings that I was frying. And then she texted back, fork and knife, fork and knife, fork and knife. And then she was like, oh, but there's no dumpling emoji. Apple has no dumpling emoji. And I was like, there's not? And then I looked and there wasn't. Jenny's friend, Ying, also happens to be a designer. She designed Twitter's fail whale. Do you remember that image of the happy whale being lifted out of the water by a flock of birds? That's Ying. Anyway, Jenny is still frying up the dumpling, contemplating the non-existence of the dumpling emoji. And then like half an hour later, up on my screen from Ying pops a dumpling emoji. (laughs) Like she just created it. (laughs) She just created it. And then they came up with this Kickstarter campaign to make the dumpling emoji official. So there's actually 1,281 officially recognized emoji. Surprise, surprise, Kimojis, they they aren't actually official emojis. That's why you actually have to buy them on an app. They're just images. Okay, all right. So I sort of knew that there was a difference between official and unofficial emojis. But, but what is that? Well, you know the emojis that appear automatically on your smartphone's keyboard or if you are in Google Hangout uh, or yeah. if you're on your Android. When your keyboard pops up, there's like a set of like and little those symbols. Are those ones? are official emojis. Mm. And they are made official by this organization called the Unicode Consortium. It's a nonprofit organization that only has 11 full voting members. Uh, eight of which are U.S. multinational tech companies. So it's Google and IBM, Oracle, um, Apple, Adobe, Facebook, and Yahoo. And the other three are a German software company, SAP, the Chinese telecom company, Huawei, and the government of Oman. The government of Oman? Yes, you heard correctly. The Sultanate of Oman is a voting member of the Unicode Consortium. So the Unicode Consortium does way more than just emojis. It was formed in the late 80s and the early 90s, and it has a huge scope. It actually deals with all of the text, symbols, glyphs um, that we use on computers uh, and subsequently on the internet to talk to one another. The Unicode Consortium grew out of an effort to standardize how not only um, ASCII characters, so like A, B, C, D, one, two, three, were communicated across computers, but also like other alphabets and writing systems. So whether or not it's Arabic or kanji in Japanese or, you know, the Korean alphabet or, you know, um, you know Cyrillic, it wanted to come up with a standardized system so that all these computers, which, you know, earlier were very much separate, but were now connected. In other words, Unicode makes it possible for computers to talk to one another and recognize every kind of text, symbol, glyph. It's almost like the universal code beneath every language, kind of like a a lingua franca for computers, you could say. And the group, well, they take their role pretty seriously. Emojis actually were initially ignored by the Unicode Consortium. They were just like some sort of passing trend. What do they think? That it was just another of those like kooky Japanese things that was going to disappear after a few years? Perhaps. But what happened was there was three different Japanese cell phone companies making three different sets of these little tiny pictograms. And the big guys, Google and some other companies, got interested in um, 
incorporating these kind of emojis and having um, commerce with these different cell companies. And there was no standard. So there's three different companies making all these different images and nobody could talk to one another. So they turned to Unicode to unify a code for these pictographics. And this is actually one one of the reasons why you have different versions of similar symbols on different platforms. So, for example, um, the bunny ears person on yeah. uh, Android is just a headshot of a woman with bunny ears. Mm-hmm. But the interpretation of that and Apple is actually two women with bunny ears dancing. And that's because two different Japanese carriers had two different interpretations and they were matched to each other. Well, how come there was no chopsticks? I mean, if they're like... I don't know. You know, it kind of just depends. It's idiosyncratic kind of what existed and what didn't, right? Because it's, to a certain extent, the first generation of Unicode emoji symbols were mostly just the emoji that, like, a a lot of different carriers had. So clearly someone didn't have chopsticks. Maybe it was too obvious. I actually don't Mm. know why chopsticks didn't make. It's kind of a glaring omission. It does kind Um, of seem endless. I mean, that's sort of the one thing is that everything can be an emoji. At what point do you stop and how do you make these decisions that seem quite... I mean, it's hard. It's going to be really interesting because at a certain point you're going to run out of like there's just going to be so many emoji on your keyboard. Like it's going to be a really interesting user kind of issue. Actually, here's one of the more interesting issues. Like there's now a bunch of um, their family emoji. Then there's like gay family emoji. So then someone pointed out, well, why are there not single parent family emojis? And, and there have been a couple pieces about that. And so that's an interesting issue. Like it does. It does actually at a certain point get endless. <laughs> so. As Jenny explored how to make the dumpling emoji official, she became more and more interested in these kinds of issues and the actual organization of the Unicode Consortium itself. And the thing is, you can actually join as an individual member. So like you and I can pay $75 a year and just join the Unicode Consortium. We have no voting powers, but you can just kind of become active. So that's what she did. She paid $75 and she went down to her first Unicode Technical Committee meeting. That's the um, subgroup that deals with emojis this past November. And the meeting took place in an ordinary boardroom at Apple's headquarters in the Silicon Valley. Most of the people around the boardroom table were, as you might suspect, white male techies in their middle age, with a few immigrants from China and an Iranian man. And overall, it was a pretty friendly scene, says Jenny. It felt a lot like going to a new church for the first time. You know, <laughs> there you were. <laughs> there, there, like, tell us about yourself. You know, what brings you here? Da, da, da. And now we're so going to discuss Indonesian really text. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is like people who take encoding very seriously. And a lot of them have interest. They have a lot of PhDs in things like philosophy or linguistics. And they're also engineers. So they're a really interesting set of people. But they're, they tend to be all engineers. So And they tend to be overwhelmingly male and overwhelmingly American. So it's not the most diverse group. And as a result, you know, emoji, I think, have some systemic bias that comes from a process that, you know, is mostly engineering and mostly male. So emoji is really interesting because it really burst on the scene a couple of years ago. It was kind of buried for a long time, but then it became a keyboard that was more easily accessible, especially on Apple's devices. And then it, they just kind of went boom, right? And so it's become this really interesting, fast-moving, evolving visual means of communication that really spans different cultures, right? To a certain extent, mm. it's a universal language since it it means that you can communicate a message to someone who may not speak the same, you know, written language as you, but there is something in the meaning of 
um, I mean, of an image of, of these emoji, right? That can kind of transcend that. Though, and, it's, and there's some idiosyncrasies on a local level, right? Like in America, um, the peach and the eggplant emoji have different connotations, probably, than other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So, well, the Unicode. I mean, they they're not placing meaning on them. Once they're in the world, it's it's really up to the yeah, world. To like m- I don't think I was very confused when I first saw the popularity of the eggplant why that was until someone basically informed Explained. me. Like, huh, interesting. Okay. Eggplant. Pe- peach and eggplant. I'm sorry. I'm not. I just, I have no idea. Do I no need to explain idea. to you, you what peach and eggplant? Yeah. Can I just let you Google that? Can I, I just say that it's alluding to a certain part? Can I just say that the eggplant is alluding to a certain part of the male anatomy and that the peach is alluding to a different part of the human anatomy that both men and women have? And these are different. <laughs> wow. And they're different. We're, they, we're getting so blushy look at the here image. in the studio. I'm just going to let you Google that, Patrick. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but that's really interesting. These two food items are different elsewhere, right? Yes, they've yeah, taken yeah. on a life of their own. That's just a wonderful example of why universal language always fails to take hold because it it's depends specific. on the context as to how these symbols are interpreted. So it quickly becomes very culturally specific. It's part of what's interesting I find about the Unicode Consortium. So they ultimately can't control what an emoji comes to mean, but they do have these lengthy, lengthy discussions about how to represent concepts. Like even ordinary, seemingly straightforward objects like food can elicit really intense debates, says Jenny. There was a whole slate of food emoji at the quarterly meeting. Peanuts and pancake and milk and egg and kiwi. And then there was squid and shrimp as animals, actually, as well. So kiwi, peanut, and egg, no problem. Those are just, like, very obvious what they look like. It seems strange. Hold on a second to have a kiwi in the mix before there is a dumpling in the mix. I don't know. yeah, I don't know. It's like, I how was, many people eat came late. <laughs> I, came, <laughs> I came late to that. Okay, that's so, weird. So then there was a core debate, like, pancake versus pancakes. Do you just want one pancake? Oh. Pancakes, right? Because the thing is, with a, a single pancake, it can actually represent multiple foods. So it can represent a crepe, right? It can be, like, Chinese bing, which is, like, you know, basically a pancake, but Chinese-y. Um, but once you start putting butter and syrup on it, and you them into stacks and it's very clearly pancakes which that is, is american more of a pancakes. western thing yeah there was some debate there and then there was a debate about milk like should it be a cup of milk or should it be a carton but a carton's very american so you don't want to do just a carton in other places it's a bottle of milk so then there was kind of debate about that and then there was uh beans so beans came up and it was originally a soybean i think so it was a brown bean but then people pointed out that that actually there are a bunch of different beans right there are green beans and black beans and lentils and like how do you use an image that can represent all of them and then you know should we have six different bean emoji so we categorize them or not and so it was really controversial right because you realize that there is a single word in english to represent a concept which is bean but once you break that back down visually it actually splinters into a lot of different things again so it's not easy to represent um you know these items which became a single word back down visually into the item. Right. All this emoji talk might seem a little silly and trivial. After all, they're just images on our phones that we use without thinking. But as Jenny sat in that first Unicode meeting, she actually started thinking about another visual language in which she's fluent, Chinese. 
I think it is not a coincidence that both Ying and I are Chinese descent. So she's Chinese Australian and now here and I'm Chinese American. We learned to read and write Chinese very early on. And obviously we both now know English. So we can kind of, we understand the impact and the implicit sort of biases that get into written communication. So mm. for example, the word for good in Chinese is a woman with a son or a boy. And like, that's sort of problem. I feel like that's a little wow. problematic, you know. And then the word for like envious and gossip has the woman radical in it in Chinese. So it's very subtle. But, you know, we so we kind of want to make sure that the system of visual communication that evolves is kind of open and inclusive. One of the things that people have noted is that at least in the existing emoji that you have on your um, phone right now, there are not that many ways to be a professional woman. Like there, are, I mean, other you know, there's like the you know, there's like just you know, normal woman, girl, all that uh-huh. kind of stuff. But if but neutral woman for a man, you can you know, there's like a doctor and then like medic. There's you know a fireman, medic, all kinds of right. There are all kinds of things like that. But as a, a woman, you can be a dancer, of course, um, a Playboy bunny, oh, a bride. Or a princess. Those are your four roles as a woman, essentially. Hooray! Um, and, and so there is a reason why people care a lot about this, because in a way it represents their world. And we just want to be thoughtful about it, which is why we created this organization called Emoji Nation, which is just sort of like the grassroots organization that gives voice to the people on issues of emoji. Our motto is emoji by the people for the people. So when you were at that meeting, are they having these conversations? Like, did you discuss specific emojis and did you discuss what's being left out and what's not? um, Yeah, issues definitely kind of come up. Like, for example, at the last January meeting, there was a proposal from Molly Huddle, who's a runner, for a female runner emoji. It was a very well-written proposal. You know, and points out basically that there are a lot of you know men in sports or there are a couple of androgynous looking figures like the surfer, but it's like important to have a woman who is running that has passed to become a candidate emoji. Ying and Jenny have submitted proposals for four new emojis, dumpling, chopsticks, fortune cookie, and the takeout box. Stay tuned as the committee is actually going to vote on them to become candidates for official emojis this month. That's really interesting. I wonder if they'll take into account that, I mean, I don't know too much about the origins of the fortune cookie and the takeout box, but aren't, aren't they American Very additions American. to sort of the Chinese experience of, of eating that then kind of went global or partially global? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the sort of debates that I can foresee them having this coming month about these particular iconic images especially for Americans, but I don't know how iconic they are around the world. And they are making decisions for the entire world. So personally, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I am late to the whole emoji game. (laughs) Well, I have a daughter, so I I have been introduced to it. Yeah, what does she like to do? Happy face, happy face, happy face? She sends me a lot of food items. I, I don't think she always knows what the food items are, and I certainly don't always know what she's trying to tell me. <laughs> but but I, I send her different ones back or, you know, a fire truck or something. Like so that. you play games with her. It is part of your communication with your daughter. Absolutely. Yes. And it's cert- Not very sophisticated. Yeah. I, I, well, I like, I'm pretty fond of the snail and the devil face. Oh, those sound good. <laughs> they yeah, are really I good. Look those up. But the other morning when I brought up this topic of emojis in the newsroom during our editorial meeting, I got so many eye rolls. Um, People, you know, they're this silly, frivolous thing. Yeah. And maybe they are silly and frivolous 
They are. But the more I was speaking with Jenny, the more it just kind of became clear to me about the subtle importance of these little icons, these little faces in our ever-changing communications, and the power of this somewhat obscure organization, obscure to sort of the mainstream, the Unicode Consortium, and how this group impacts the way the world communicates at this particular moment in time, because who knows how this will all evolve. So I called up Mark Davis. He is the co-chair of the Emoji Committee. He's also actually one of the founding members of the Unicode Consortium in the late 80s. You know the quote uh, that un- Uncle Ben says to Peter Parker and Spider-Man, you know, yes. with great power <laughs> comes great responsibility. I mean, how does it feel, like, effectively to be shaping the communications of, like, millions of people? Well, hmm. It's uh, emoji are a different mechanism for doing that. But if you think about the fact that we're responsible for the letter A on your cell phone, that's a heck of a lot more important than any emoji. Sure. And so how does it feel to be <laughs> shaping the communications uh, of millions it's... of people? <laughs> Emojis presented an interesting problem for this group. Unlike scripts and texts, which is what the Unicode Consortium mostly deals with, the problem of emojis is that they're endless. And so when the Unicode Consortium, Mark told me, started dealing with them, it was like opening up a Pandora's box. For example... Skin tone, that is a a big issue that the Unicode Consortium has had to deal with. And initially, the first, you know, Japanese set of emojis that they approved were all, you know, the the yellow guys, really yellow Mm -hmm. colors. And they tried to do something that was skin tone neutral. That was not a skin tone that anybody has, this bright yellow. Um, And then what happened was all the vendors, so like all the phones, like Samsung or Apple, or all these guys started creating their own pictures. Multiple hues. Multiple hues, which tended to be, you know, the lighter side of the multiple hues, you know, white pictograms. And the Unicode Consortium had to deal with that. It came up to them to encode multiple different kinds of skin tones so that all these different devices could talk to each other and represent all these different kinds of skin tones. So that's just one of the things that sprouted up that that nobody was thinking about when they just, oh, yeah, we'll do these funny little faces. And, and then there's also the question of of what you choose and why. So I asked Mark, I was really curious, like, okay, so there is no giraffe emoji, for example, but there is right. a smiling pile of poop. Like, <laughs> who makes that kind of random decision? Like, that seems rather strange. And what he told me is it turns out actually the smiling pile of poop was inherited from the original Japanese set. So that's how it came in. In that case, it wasn't particularly a choice on our side. So it wasn't like a grand idea of like, ah, somebody, I, I have this idea. <laughs> what we no, really no. need <laughs> instead of a giraffe is a smiling pile of poop. And then <laughs> what about the middle finger? I'm curious about the discussions surrounding the middle finger. That was actually for us a compatibility character. We hadn't really intended to put it in. We work in close cooperation with uh, ISO, the International Standards Organization. Turns out that there were elements within ISO, uh, notably the Irish, that really wanted that character in. And so we accepted that because we, we work, as I say, closely with them. So it's the Irish who are responsible for the middle finger. Oh, the Irish. Wow. I, I, you know, I don't know right now whether to play up the 50% of me that's Irish or play down. 
I think one should be proud that they got the middle finger. I don't know. Until until your daughter starts like <laughs> sending you messages <laughs> with the middle finger, which I hope she doesn't. Uh, I don't think she would ever do. But <laughs> oh, I'll send her a smiling pile of poop back. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what's interesting about Mark Davis is he's the co-chair of all these big things, but he actually has a PhD in philosophy. And so I asked him what kind of philosophical conversations occur around this seemingly innocuous, boring boardroom in the Silicon Valley. And it turns out to be quite interesting. One of the biggest problems, and this is not just emoji, this is regular characters, is what's called the identity issue. When do two things count as the same entity and when should they be treated as different entities? And that's core to how we deal with characters of all forms. And it gets tricky when you have especially long histories. If you look at hieroglyphics, for example, you've got thousands of years and a lot of different shapes. When do you conclude that these particular set of shapes really are representing the same character or not? That's probably the closest uh, you get to deep philosophical questions. But we also have to, I mean, we have to look at images and the semantics behind the images as well. So in Japanese, for example, you have a face with uh, two puffs of steam coming out of the nose. That was encoded in the Japanese sets. And for them, it means someone with the look of triumph. But to people outside of Japan, it's just this mysterious looking thing with puffs of air coming out of the nose. Yeah, it's interesting because I thought it was anger. It looks like an angry face, but it does not look angry, triumphant. It's supposed to be triumphant instead. Um, there's another one which is sleeping, and there's a, a droplet on the face, and that represents a snot bubble. <sighs> That's really interesting. So in Japan, that has very specific meaning. You associate it with someone sleeping and it works for them, but everyone else looks at that and has no idea what it's supposed to be. So even though these, these, little, these little pictures, which pictures are supposed to be this universal language, visual Esperanto. I think that's a mistake people make. These aren't really languages. They're more like filling the gaps that if we could see one another, you would have all sorts of things when I'm talking to help you understand what I'm trying to convey, hand gestures. And so emoji is kind of filling that gap, but the meaning that people will attach to any particular emoji is going to be very culturally determined. So people shouldn't expect that this is a, a universal language that everyone looking at the same emoji would understand the same thing especially in sequence. The sequences could match how you and your language would interpret a subject, a verb, and an object, and in some other language would mean some, have another connotation. It's really not a universal language in the way that a lot of people think it is. It's interesting the claims that people make about emojis and language and whether or not you know it's a language and everything. I mean, maybe, who knows? I mean, we, 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 none of us know about the future, but it, it strikes me that it has just simply added to the language that we already use. So if we use yes. it as part of something, you know, rather than, you know, I mean, you have those exercises where people will write an entire article in emojis, but that's not really how people... No, 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 no. And it's not how they're using them, I, I don't think, for the most part, or at least myself and my peers. I think of them, as Mark Davis pointed out, as 
body language. It's the body language to the text that we were missing. It, it adds that kind of accent yeah. or that kind of feeling or emotion that you don't get through the words. I don't know. If you could write body language, this would be what it would look like to me. That's how I've yeah, kind of framed make, it. Yeah, it helps make a text more conversational. So that's Mark Davis, a founder of the Unicode Consortium, still a very mysterious organization to me. But perhaps, uh, Patrick, I need to plunk down the $75, join, go to a meeting myself. Emojis are just a tiny fraction of what they do. Their ultimate goal actually is to encode every language, big and small, living and dead. It's a super lofty goal. They're trying to raise funds to do that, and they have this adopt a symbol program. So you can actually sponsor the letter G or any character in any language of your choosing, even an emoji, um, even though Mark says it's not a language. So I'll put a link to their website at pri.org language. And that's all for this week. Oh, here is your Funder accent quiz for next week. Listen closely. The world in words is made possible in parts by the National Endowment for the Humanities, celebrating 50 years of excellence. I'm Nina Porzuki. Hit us up on Twitter, at Lingopod. Tweet us your favorite emoji. And as always, until I figure out a better sign-off, thanks for listening. want a giraffe emoji by far like it's so confusing to me why people want a giraffe emoji well this is a theory i've heard don't quote me on this that the giraffe of the land roving mammals has the biggest heart (laughs) maybe it's like just i don't know it's kind of also a weird animal the elephant is so large you would think that I, you one would think, but they have a very long neck. They need to pump the blood up really high. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. I, I need to double check that. But I've heard. I was told once. Soundworks. Soundworks. From PRI. Louis, will you do me a favor? Will you Google search really quickly what does the peach emoji mean? <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. I think it means butt, but I'm not sure. <laughs>